Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, welcome to episode 24 of the Hockey News on the Dub podcast, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Carol Schramm, here with Adam Kersenblatt, and this week we have a special guest as Director of Scouting for Puck Preps, Joel Henderson, joins us to talk about the upcoming WHL Bantam Draft. Later, we'll also recap the WHL flavor at the recent U18 Worlds, take a look at the beginning of the conference finals, and cover the Carolina Hurricanes as our NHL Team of the Week. So, uh, lots to get to. Hand it over to you, Adam. Yeah, so uh, to kick things off, this year's uh, WHL Prospect Draft is just over a week away as we record on Tuesday. It's scheduled for Thursday, May 11th, with plenty of talented 2008-born players available for selection. Uh, The WHL will also conduct their U.S. Priority Draft one day earlier on Wednesday, uh, May 10th. Uh, To talk more about prospects and the draft is Joel Henderson. He's the Director of Scouting for Puck Preps, and he's also... uh, in charge of ranking in Western Canada when it comes to this draft. On top of uh, working for Puck Prep, he also does work for FC Hockey, where he watches WHL players in preparation for the NHL draft. So plenty of uh, scouting at both the Bantam level and the NHL level. So yeah, thank you for uh, coming on and uh, joining us today, Joel. No problem. Happy to be here. Uh, Yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, Before we start digging into some of the players' names that we'll be hearing at the draft next week, can you give us a sense of what that process is like for scouting these 14 and 15-year-olds as they're still sort of growing into their bodies? For sure. I think it starts with, generally, I think it starts with like the summer camps kind of beforehand. There's a lot of kids that, sometimes the best kids at these levels, they've already kind of made their way up to playing U15. And so a lot of the top names of this list, um, they would have already been playing in the league higher the year before. With some exceptions, some guys make some big jumps and stuff. But for the generalists, like a lot of these players, you can see them against some of the competition in the years before. So you kind of start to make your list. You kind of start to round them out. And then as the year goes on, you start to compare, like, who's rising, who's moving through. Uh, and then the best parts is, you know, at the end of the year, you get some some really good competition um, between the provinces, so you start to see the top teams against each other. There's a couple of uh, times, maybe three, four really big tournaments where you start to see the provinces uh, intermingle. So you'll see, you know, some tournaments where you've got some of the, the top Saskatchewan teams with the top Albertan teams with a few from the BCEHL. And, you know, and so you can start to kind of compare them as you see them head to head. But then for me personally, once you kind of have the range of those things, uh, and you start to see those things as kind of like, I think this person's in this range. Then you get down to the details of it where you go, let me go to the video. Let me look. Let me see. Is there something here that that is better than I thought, worse than I thought, a detail that I missed, a pattern that I see, you know, those kinds of things. And then you start to really fine tune the list. So at this point in time, we're, uh, you know, um, 10 or however many days away from the draft. And uh, it's just fine tuning that stuff. It's going through the lists. Uh, the last bits of these is that every province kind of has a, a preparation for next year for the U16 tournament where they gather all their best kids. And so you can see the provincial players go head to head against each other. And so that's when the final look, um, especially those ones, the Alberta Cup uh, camp just happened. And so all the scouts are there looking at the top Alberta kids and uh, and you start to see them head on head. 
Now, when it comes to the NHL draft, we talk a lot about does a team prefer when they make their selection, do they go with what they need or the best player available? Is that the same at the WHL level? Um, it's a bit of both. And so I think there's more of addressing team needs, I think, at the at the WHL level uh, than there is at the NHL level because, you know, sometimes when the kids make the NHL, they're five years away kind of thing. And so it's not as drastic as it is with maybe the OHL or the Q where you're drafting the kid and hopefully putting them in the lineup the next year. But for this, it's a bit more of like you're, you're trying to make a team. And so if you have a top end playmaker, a top end shooter, you know, in years, maybe in the years previous, like there's been some teams where they took a defenseman in the first round, two defensemen in the second round. And it's like, well, they're probably not taking a defense. Like it's, you know, you can start to see these patterns. So it's, it's a bit more team needs. Um, and I think teams address them a little bit more carefully, but um, it's about kind of finding whatever is in that range and then not going too far out of it if you can help it. So I think there's sometimes when you go like, is it, is the top defenseman two down on our list? That's okay. Or is the top next top defenseman 12? Ugh, we got to trade down, you know? So it's, they kind of address it that way. Yeah, that and, makes sense. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. how important is provincial based uh, drafting? So for example, if you're a team in BC and there's two players, so one's from BC and one's from Manitoba and they're pretty close will the team mostly go for the t uh, player that lives closer? Uh, on the top end of things, I think there's a lot of communication between teams, especially in the first round. And so let's say there's a player from BC and, 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 you know, Brandon's really interested in them kind of thing. They'll talk. And so you'll see the the readiness of the player to be able to do that. And simply because I think everyone is just kind of pretty fair. You don't want to, you don't want to sell a, a team on, Hey, I'll come, they take you and you don't. So it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not a good look for you. It's not a good look for anybody. You know, it can get a scout fired. So it's, uh, it's generally like you, there's a lot of communication there. Once you get through to the round where you're getting into the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, um, there is some thought in there. And I think there's a lot of guys that just think like, you know, if we can take a kid that's more closer to home, we have a better chance of, of, of keeping them here. I mean, you know, they're kids, they're moving away from their family, their, their billet families. You know, if you're a kid from Regina, um, playing in Moose Jaw is a lot different than playing in Spokane, you know? So it's, it's, um, it, it takes a bit of commitment. Some of the families are really ready, you know, they're ready to kind of do that, but there's some families that just go, I don't want to go play in wherever. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, so the top of your directions, his dynamic skating and his shot release is a couple of his strengths. Uh, what, what makes him the number one prospect in this draft? Mathis, um, upside. I think it would be the biggest thing. So Mathis, um, first of all, Mathis has the best shot release in the class. Like, so when he's curled over the zone in stride or when he's approaching the zone in stride off the rush, his release, he can shoot off his left, right foot. He can kind of change the angle. He can change the form of it. Uh, he really can push the tempo in all of those ways. He can shoot from distance too. So when he snaps on the power play um, from the right or left side, preferably the right, he can really curl into it. Um, as well as he has very quick hands. And so when he's attacking one-on-one, -on -one, he can drag, he can move laterally, he can do all that sort of stuff. He's got great vision. He's got great passing to his game. Um, the difference is, is that he's, um, there's sometimes where it's like, there's some players that are really tenacious. So there's guys that are just like, they hound you the pockets, the second, the third, the fourth effort. Um, Mathis is, he's got to learn a bit more of that stuff, but it's there. It's all there. Like all of the pieces are there for him to be, the best player in this draft, the top shooter, the most, the hardest to handle, 
uh, the guy to do it. I've, I've kind of compared him to a few other WHL players, but I think it's not something that he can't do. And so it's just like adding those pieces is just going to make him that much better. So he builds power in his stride. He gets the extension. His shot release is terrific. Um, from a potential standpoint, I think he, he's the one that projects as the highest and the best one. So looking at uh, how Puck Preps has done their uh, rankings, you have three defensemen in uh, spot two, three, four. So Daxon Rudolph, Keaton Verhoff, and uh, Ryan Lynn. Is this a situation where it's going to go, where they're going to go two, three, four, or is this going to be a little bit more separated in the top 10? No, I think, uh, I think it's going to be separated in the top 10. Uh, and I think, so the way that I categorize this draft, especially in the top 10 and even the top 15, like I've kind of said to people, is that in the last number of years, there's been what people thought was a clear cut number one. Like if you asked most people, the most common name that you would have gotten would have been person. And so the last number, I mean, it's easy when it was Connor Bedard, um, but then it was, but then it was um, Berkeley Catton and he was pretty clearly the number one that, and then there was, and then there was another player, um, Gavin McKenna, who was pretty clearly the number one, like by a, by a decent margin. And so the, this year there isn't. And so it's, it's particular with the defenseman in particular with the, the forwards, even in the top 15 too. There'll be guys that I think I have on, you know, 15 on my list that some people might think it's the best in the draft. And it's the same for the defenseman. I think whoever you ask likes a little bit of a different flavor to it, but I think all three of them are very good. All three of them are top 10 at the very least. Um, and so I think it kind of, it'll come down to it. Um, I don't think the order that they go in will be the order that I have them in. And so we'll just see. But the reality is, is there's three on the top end of this draft. I think there's three really good ones that end up being top pairing defensemen on your team. Great. Um, now, one uh, recognizable name that's in the mix for this year's draft is uh, Joe Aginla, who's the youngest son of, uh, of Hall of Famer Jerome um, mm -hmm. at Puck Preps. Perhaps you have him ranked seventh overall on the draft board. Um, tell us a little bit more about what he's like and, and maybe how he compares with uh, with his older brother, Tej, who was drafted ninth overall in 2021. I do want to say the comment from people that these rankings we're referencing, they aren't the final one. We've got the final one coming out uh, probably on Monday. And so we're not quite done yet. They're not quite okay. there. Um, but Joe is uh, Joe will be somewhere in that top 10, I would imagine, you know, wherever he lands. Um, Joe is actually very similar to his brother um, in that they're they're just both Aginlas. They're really tenacious. They're smart. They're well trained. They're really well skilled. Like it's one of those things where, like, you know, imagine you got a tool belt around your waist, and uh, you, he, he's got a lot of tools. And it's just if if something doesn't work, he tries something else. If something doesn't work, he tries something else. He's really tricky. He can toe drag one on one around guys. He's got a really good um, shot. So he gets himself into shooting areas and he really releases it. The biggest part about him and his brother is that they were kind of a little bit uh, late bloomers as far as the physicality of it all. Like there's, st he's still, I'm not sure what his measurements are, but he's, he's still probably, I think 5'8", 140, something in that range. I don't know. Um, but he's going to mature and it's going to come. And then when he, as he does, you know, it's going to open up more of his game. And so I think with Tej, uh, he, you saw that I think through the year, um, you know, through the year, even last year, I think as he went on, he got better and better. And uh, it's kind of the same with Joe where you kind of watch him in every game. You go, there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more, a little bit more. He's out a little bit more. So it's, he's a well-rounded player. Uh, I think Joe, you know, for comparing though, I think Joe is the better shooter and, uh, and TJ is a better playmaker. Great. So I want to go down the list a little bit here and talk about uh, Kanju uh, Gojik, 
So you have him uh, ranked 30th, but on puck preps, you have a percentage of 75% chance that he may go to the NCAA. So will this affect his draft stock knowing that there's a good chance he may never play in the WHL? And a, you know, a player that I think of from a couple of years ago is Joshua Niedermeyer with the uh, Vancouver Giants who they drafted him in the second round and then he goes off to the uh, BCHL to go off to the NCAA. Yeah. Uh, I think the philosophy of most WHL teams is that you never want to, it's always a risk assessment, right? And so it's how much, you know, how, how sure are you that they're going to come? And so generally I think teams want close to a hundred percent assurance if they're taking you in the first round um, to, to draft a player and them not come is tough. It happens. It happens sometimes. Um, but you know, and so for example, um, you know, the player that we're talking about here, his older brother was a 2006 and he was drafted, the, I think the first pick of the second round by Victoria and he's yet to sign with them. So the reason that we've kind of talked about that is because he has an older brother who hasn't went to the WHL. Um, there's a mixture. I think like, you know, it's not a hundred percent. And the reality is, is I don't think that, um, you know, Hiroki's older brother has committed anywhere either. So it's a bit of a family thing. It's a bit of a guess um, for our website and stuff, you know, their percentages, it's never a, we're not checking in with everybody and whatever. It's just kind of what we hear. If we hear from the families here or whatever, that there's a bit of a, whatever, then we'll, we'll slap it there as best as we can, but it's a nice educated guess. Um, but the reality is, is the facts of it is that he has an older brother who was drafted into the WHL who hasn't signed yet. And so, um, it doesn't mean that sometimes families go the same route. Sometimes they don't. So it's, um, yeah. Let's see how it goes. Um, now looking at the, uh, order of the draft next week, we've got, uh, Prince Albert is going to sort of dominate the, uh, the beginning of the proceedings with three picks in the top seven. Um, how long will it take for those picks to make an impact in Prince Albert for the Raiders and to get them to start moving back up the WHL standings? Uh, well, they've so they've done a really good job of like kind of retooling the last little bit. They've got some impact um, players who are coming in for them in the last number of years. I mean, they they um, they drafted two players in the first round in the 2006 draft and like the 2006 born class. And uh, and one of them was one of their leading scorers this last year, you know, and the other one's still developing and finding his way. But he's going to be a good player for them. And then they drafted Luke Moraz last year, another forward who's a really, really highly skilled uh, play manipulator. So in the last couple of years, they've drafted a bunch of forwards. Uh, and so for them, I think they're looking for, if it was there, I think that, you know, for those seven or for those three picks in the top seven, I think if ideally, if they could come out with two defensemen and a forward, I think they'd be good. I think the way that it shakes down is most likely a defenseman and two forwards. Um, but the, but I think, I think that at the end, at the top, at the top end of this, like I talk about, there isn't a Berkeley Catton or there isn't a, you know, a, a Bedard, but the top end of this is really good. These are all very good players. They're going to be very good players. Like they all project to be top line, top pair, very impactful players. And I think when you get three in the top seven, like even if you miss, even if like you go look back and you go, ah, they didn't turn out the way that we did from a scouting perspective, you got three players of the top fit, like probably 15 in the draft. Like, so it's they're gonna they're gonna take three very good players and they're gonna add them to already of their three very good first round picks as well as this. I think we're gonna see a very fun team and PA is known for developing defensemen well and they're known for being a hard team to play against. I think this is gonna be. I'm excited for them and I'm excited for the fans. Now, when we look at this draft, one thing that we always do is we compare drafts to previous years' drafts. So, how would you compare this 2008 class? 
to maybe the last couple years of the WHL draft? Uh, I would say that um, in the top four or five rounds, I think this draft has a potential of being deeper. Like I think you you might get some more impact players in the third, fourth, fifth rounds here than maybe in maybe in last year's draft, but um, and maybe even the year before too. But at the top end, there isn't that that a hundred percent superstar, but there's a there's a swath of really good players. Like I like this draft. I, I started off in the year I wasn't too sure, um, but I like this draft. It's it's one where I think teams are going to look back and they can see that they picked up some really smart, really key players here. Yeah, that's cool. It's uh, it's always so fun. I liken these moments to uh, seeing an indie band in a small club before they get famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, even, and even too, like the way that it breaks down too is like, well, people will talk about the provinces as well. So like, yeah. is it the better year provincially? And I think um, what I've kind of told people is this, this, this is a very deep, strong Alberta year. So Alberta, the crew is really good. And Saskatchewan too. Saskatchewan doesn't, you're not going to hear a ton of names like from Saskatchewan first round, but as you get flowing through the draft, you're going to get a bunch of those guys that just, there's a depth there in Saskatchewan this year too, where I think Alberta and Saskatchewan is where people are keying in on. Manitoba is a bit of a, it's a little bit all over the place. BC is a little bit all over the place for this year too, but there's good players there as well every year. Awesome. Well, thank you, Joel. We really appreciate all your insight on this. And it gives us a bit of a, a framework when we're watching the names get called next week. Um, before we let you go, uh, how closely have you been watching the playoffs? And uh, who do you think is going to make it out of the dub to join the uh, Blazers and Kamloops at the Memorial Cup? Uh, I mean, it's so first off, I think like if you're debating the top teams in the league, I mean, you can't go wrong with Seattle, but Kamloops is not far behind. So it's uh, it was one of those where like as soon as you knew you knew the matchup was coming, and it was just like if Kamloops ends up beating Seattle, that's such a shame <laughs> because you just you want to see Seattle there. But in the same breath, it's like you know if Winnipeg gets past Saskatoon, they've got the early lead here. If Winnipeg gets past Saskatoon, I mean Winnipeg Seattle is going to be a really fun series too. So I think that's two top of the line teams that really go. I think. If I'm given an edge, I think you'd probably give it to Seattle. I think we probably, if Seattle gets past Kamloops, I think they they probably finish the job. But it's going to be tremendous hockey regardless. Yeah, it's been a really fun year to watch this all go down. So uh, in a couple of years, we'll see what uh, what this year's draft class is bringing to uh, the WHL playoffs and uh, on towards their draft years. So uh, thanks again, Joel, for stopping by today. I really appreciate it. And uh, all the best to you with uh, the last week of work here before draft day. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks again to Joel for uh, stopping by and sharing all of his wisdom with us. Uh, sounds like it will be a, a very fascinating uh, WHL Phantom Draft coming up a week from Thursday. Uh, now let's move on to our headlines for the week, and we will start off with Canada's big bronze medal win at the U18 Worlds on the weekend. Yeah, so exciting game. Canada defeated Slovakia 4-3 in overtime to win the bronze at the at this year's U18 uh, tournament. Uh, Team USA also won their gold medal game in uh, overtime against Sweden. So just an exciting morning of hockey that led up to the game sevens later on. So this is Canada's second medal in the last seven tournaments. So, uh, But there was no Canadians named to any of this year's all-star list, mostly Sweden and USA plus uh, Dvorsky from uh, Slovakia. So the last time they medaled was 2021 when they won gold, led by WHLers, including Connor Bedard, Dylan Gunther, uh, Logan Stankoven, Olin Zellweger, and Thomas Millich. 
you know, players who are having massive impacts in the playoffs and in Dard's case, massive uh, playoff in the first round. So when we look at the WHL side of this, uh, Andrew Crystal, Kelowna Rockets, led all WHL players with six points, while his uh, teammate Caden Price led all defensemen on Canada with five points, which were all assists. Um, we also had some uh, players who are in the NCAA but have WHL ties with Macklin Celebrini led all Canadian players with 15 points, including the OT winner uh, in the bronze medal game. And then Matthew Wood uh, led all Canadian players with seven goals. Um, yeah, Celebrini um, has chosen to bypass the WHL and is playing in the UHL this year. Um, he had a really great season with the Chicago Steel and is on to Boston University next season. Um, he's a, a big talent, the next next one, I guess, um, and could very well end up being the, uh, the first overall pick in the NHL's draft in 2024. Um, Matthew Wood is uh, draft eligible this year. And he also had a huge season for the University of Connecticut as a 17-year-old. There's not that many 17-year-olds in the w, in the uh, NCAA, so he, there's not a lot of comparable stats for him, but he showed really well. And he's already a big kid, too, at 6'3", so he was able to hold his own in those NCAA games where he's playing against guys who could be as old as 24 and 25 in some cases. Um, so really, really solid tournament for, uh, for Matthew Wood, and that's part of the reason... Um, I think why we've seen him jump up in the uh, in the rankings for this year's draft to uh, from number eight to number four. Um, not a big deal, but uh, I had a chance to speak to Connor Bedard on the weekend for uh, an upcoming magazine feature, and it was on Sunday just after the uh, after the bronze medal game was held. So we chatted a little bit about some of these players, including uh, Celebrini and Wood, and uh, he played with both of them growing up, and uh, and of course with Crystal and and Dragosevic as well. Um, some of them played against them more than he played with them. But uh, I feel like he was sort of all of us when I asked him how much he'd been able to see of the tournament. And he said he watched as much as he could, but uh, not when the games were on at four o'clock in the morning Pacific time. So sometimes Conor Bedard is indeed just like us. <laughs> um, before we leave the U18s behind too, I also wanted to quickly mention um, goalie Carson Bjarnason, who is the top ranked goalie by NHL Central Scouting. Um, he did get the starting assignment for Canada and and despite getting lit up in the tournament opening game against Sweden, he settled down, went undefeated through the rest of the round robin in the quarterfinal. But then in the semifinal, he got pulled um, at the end of the first period of the rematch against Sweden. At that point, the score was 2-2 and uh, he got hit in the head and I guess did not pass the concussion testing um, because we didn't see Bjarnason again for the rest of the tournament. So um, Canada was in a tie with Sweden when Bjarnason got taken out of the game and ended up losing that game 7-2. And uh, full credit to Gabriel Day for uh, stepping in and uh, backstopping that uh, bronze medal win in the uh, in the medal game on Sunday. So congrats to him, and uh, hopefully Bjornsson uh, has a speedy recovery, and uh, this doesn't affect his uh, his draft stock in any way because it was a pretty solid tournament for him in between those two unfortunate Sweden games, I guess. Um, next up on the international calendar, we've got the Men's World Championship, which starts on May 12th in Finland and Latvia. Um, and once the final rosters for that are announced, we will uh, take a look. Um, Conor Bedard has decided not to play, said that he's looking for a little bit of downtime before uh, this next incredibly hectic phase of his life happens with the draft and everything. Uh, so he will not be on Team Canada, but I think we 
could see some dub players on some of the European squads. So there will be a little bit of uh, WHL content to keep an eye out for that as well. So uh, on that note, let's turn our attention back to the dub and uh, Adam can get you caught up on what's happening so far in round three of the playoffs. Yeah. So as of recording, both WHL teams or both WHL series have played two games. So we'll start out East with the Winnipeg ice versus the Saskatoon blade. So Winnipeg took care of business on home ice in both games. On Friday in game one, they won 3-0, while on Saturday, they won 6-2. Some of the highlights from the games included during game one, Zach Ostopchuk, the Ottawa Senator prospect, scored the first ever penalty shot goal in uh, Winnipeg ice postseason history. So that's always exciting when you can make a little bit of history during uh, the postseason. And then uh, in game two, it was the Connor McClellan game. So former Philadelphia Flyers prospect who the Flyers decided not to sign, uh, ended up scoring a hat trick and adding an assist. So, you know, he's really making it uh, clear that that may have been a uh, decision that the Flyers are going to regret later on as he is a free agent uh, and available to sign with another team. Uh, Uh, Oh, I was just going to add that McClellan or McClellan was also named uh, WHL player of the week this past week. So uh, yeah, good for him for using this stage to uh, to try and get himself a, a gig for next year. Yeah, he's a he's a great player and uh, one of those leaders on Winnipeg. So we'll see how far he can uh, help take them. Uh, moving out west, uh, Seattle also remained perfect this postseason, winning both games. Uh, while Saturday's game one was a little bit more decisive, winning five one, Sunday's was a lot closer as Seattle pulled off the four three overtime win. Um, looking at the highlights from these two games, in game one it was Jared Davison who led the way for Seattle scoring two goals, including the series opener, while he also added an assist. And the OT winner in game uh, uh, two, one of these players that, you know, you look at the Seattle roster, somebody you might not expect, Jeremy Hansel, the defenseman, scoring the game winner. Um, And a little bit of interesting note about the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds. So going back to uh, last season, they have now won 12 straight playoff games against Western Conference teams. Their last loss was May 27th in game five, versus the same Kamloops Blazers that they're playing uh, right now before they went on to lose uh, to Edmonton in the uh, WHL championship. There's also an interesting little tie between the Kamloops Blazers and Seattle Thunderbird series when you look at the NHL level because Tom Gillardi owns both the Dallas Stars and the Kamloops Blazers. And as we know from the Game 7 of the Seattle Kraken Colorado series, Seattle won that series. So Tom Gillardi is having to face Seattle twice as both of his teams, the Dallas Stars and the uh, and the Kamloops Blazers are facing off against the Seattle Kraken and the Seattle Thunderbirds. Yeah, that's a lot of hockey power coming out of Seattle to take on uh, Mr. Gillardi and his squads. Also, we we would be remiss if we didn't shout out friend of the podcast, Nico Majadovic, for his goal in game one. Um, very, very happy to see that for him as well. Uh what else we got? Uh, on to the uh, next section, which is our NHL Team of the Week. And we are in the Metropolitan Division now. And uh, so this week is the Carolina Hurricanes, who actually have no WHL player or no drafted players in the WHL this season. And they haven't drafted a dub player in the last two years, despite the fact that they had 13 13 picks in the 2021 draft. They couldn't find one guy from the depth they liked out of 13 picks. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Uh, well, 
I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. A uh, little bit of backstory. I have them going to the uh, Stanley Cup this year, so we'll see if uh, that works out. But one of the guys, if they make the Stanley Cup, who is playing a ma major factor is former Portland Winterhawk Seth Jarvis. Uh, drafted in 2020, 13th overall. He's arguably the highest profile WHO player on this Hurricane roster as he did record 166 points in 154 games during his WHO career. Um, he also has 79 points in 150 regular season games so far, and he sits fifth in his draft class scoring uh, so far and also fifth in games. Uh, yeah, so far uh, Jarvis has been making an impact as well in the playoffs since the uh, Carolina is a little bit shorthanded up front with all the injuries that they have to forward. So that um, creates a nice opportunity for a player like him. So he had two goals and two assists in that first round series against the Islanders. Uh, I did get a chance to do a feature on Jarvis uh, early in the season when the Hurricanes came through Vancouver back in October, November or whatever it was. So uh, uh, I got a chance to talk to him about uh, about how things have gone for him so far and uh, also to talk to Jordan Stahl about him. And uh, Jordan was just like, how much time you got? I love that kid. So uh, on top of being an honorary Finn, I think he's just an, an all around good guy who's very well liked by his teammates. Yeah, you got to love uh, Seth Jarvis, one of these hardworking players that really is uh, reaping the benefits of his hard work. So uh, moving on, we have a little bit of an older player uh, compared to Jarvis, and that is 2020. 2012 second round pick and former Vancouver Giants for Jordan Martinuk, who plays this really gritty bottom six style and is very important to that whole Carolina Panther or Carolina Hurricanes team. Um, a little bit of a fun fact, he was one of the creators of this storm surge celebration that we see and that we have been seeing over the last couple of years in Carolina that included being knocked out by Evander Holyfield. Uh, during one of the celebrations. So a very cool experience because how many people can say that they, uh, even though it was faked, uh, had an opportunity to be knocked out by a uh, former champion. Yeah. And um, then, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just going to mention that uh, there's one other uh... – one other dub player on uh, Carolina's current roster, and that's uh, former Tri-City American defenseman Dylan Coughlin. He was undrafted, um, but came up through the AHL and uh, was originally signed by the Vegas Golden Knights and then moved to Carolina as part of the Max Pacioretty deal in the offseason. So it's not like Carolina didn't get anything for the Max Pacioretty trade. <laughs> Yeah, um, even though he hasn't been playing a lot, it's always great to have that depth available during the playoffs because, as we've seen, defensemen seem to be going down left, right, and center uh, and having massive effects on this series. So we'll jump into the AHL uh, level here, and there are five players with WHL connection that are on the uh, Chicago Wolves or played with them this year. And we're going to start with uh, former Everett Silvertip captain and World Junior Gold Medalist defenseman Ronan Seeley. It was a seventh round pick in 2020. You know, we talk a lot about Carolina's drafting ability and then finding all of these players in the sixth, seventh round that all of a sudden are on Team Canada or at the World Juniors lighting it up. So that's another player uh, who another depth signing that they or another depth draft pick that they found uh, that has really benefited and uh, looks to be a solid player that could have a massive impact definitely next year in the AHL. Um, We'll jump over to the Brandon Wheat Kings and their former captain, 
Uh, Stalo Mathis uh, was a third rounder in uh, 2017. They also have uh, Maxime Lejoie, who was a former Swift Current Broncos defenseman. Uh, Malte uh, Stormwall, who played for the Tri-City Americans, a forward out of um, Europe who came over through the import draft. And uh, Zach uh, Sochenko, who was a former Moose Jaw Warriors goaltender. And we talked about Logan Thompson. He had a similar uh, path to Logan Thompson as he was never drafted and had to work his way up through the U-Sports program. Um, yeah, here's a Sachenko's name tossed around here now and then. So it'll be interesting to see if he can make his way all the way, uh, all the way up to the show. Cause the Carolina, if there's one weakness that the hurricanes have, they sort of fall into that category where, uh, if you don't have a number one goalie, then you have no goalies. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the, uh, how the workload gets split between Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta and possibly Kochetkov uh, lurking in the, uh, in the shadows as well as, uh, as they go forward in their second round series. Uh, we got a little bit more time today. So um, you also had a prospect of the week that you wanted to mention, and that is uh, Matteo Fabrizi. Yeah, so Matteo Fabrizi is, he's not going to be talked about a lot because he is a later round pick, but I think that he could, be a impact player at the NHL level and one of these depth guys, maybe, you know, Carolina, they have such a good record of drafting these uh, guys who come out of nowhere in the late round. So we'll see what happens there, but he's plays for red deer uh, defenseman listed at six foot five, 234 pound uh, left shot. He plays a physical game and is good on the penalty kill. Um, I'm not the only one who seems to like him though, because he has seen a drastic uh, jump in the rankings. He went from 215th all the way to 141st at the mid, uh, from the midterm to the final draft ranking. So it's clear that, you know, scouts have had his eyes on. And uh, for a player his size, everybody asks about his skating. He's a decent skater. He's not super fast, but he knows how to close off angles uh, with his big frame. He's not a player that gets knocked off the puck too much. And overall, he's one of these guys that you can trust in your defensive zone to play uh, top four, even top two minutes at the WHL level. Yeah, that 6'5", 234 line makes me think of that he would be have been very well suited to like the Darian Hatcher era from 20 years ago. But it's not like we don't have a few of those big dudes patrolling the blue line these days. And uh, Jamie Alexiak is certainly alive and well in round two for the Seattle Kraken. So uh, really interesting to see uh, where Fabrizi will go in the draft and what his development curve looks like from there. So uh, we will leave it there for today. As always, thanks again for joining us. Uh, and please tune in again next week. We will have the WHL Awards to talk about because that uh, those announcements are starting to roll out. We'll have the late stages of the conference finals. And the uh, beginning of the Memorial Cup in Kamloops is less than a month away. I booked my accommodation on the weekend. So uh, that has suddenly gotten real. So very excited to uh, to be looking forward to, uh, to that trip. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't done so already, Ready, please make sure you subscribe to THN on the dub on your favorite podcast platform. And to check out all of our podcasts, go to thehockeynews.com slash podcast. Enjoy the games and we'll be back to see you again next week.